0: Hey Tim, it's Che, just wanted to wish you a happy new year and I know I'm late on this, I know you recorded it a month ago but thank you for the undead, uh, po- you know, that, that particular po- podcast, it was great, I uh, really enjoyed, especially enjoyed listening to how you rationalise some of the, um, sort of take away the rules I suppose in some ways or at least cloak the rules in actual description and encourage role play you know, kind of putting yourself into the situation. I was particularly impressed with your thoughts around uh, non-corporeal undead, actually. It was really cool. So thank you for those ideas and those thoughts and um, sort of freshening up my mind. I also wanted to thank you for recommending um, GURPS Undead as a book. Uh, that's one of the ones I don't think I do have. Um, or if I do have it, I just haven't read it. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Anyway, uh, I'm wittering, so I'll catch you later. Be well. Game on. Hey there, Tim, it's John here from Red Dice Stories. Just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your recent episode where you were discussing various types of undead. thought it was particularly interesting how you do the energy drain. That's something that came up in one of my games recently, and we've ended up going with a system out of the Noxine, which is effectively you get, like, attribute damage. The attribute varies depending on which undead it is and that takes some time to recover and obviously if you get to attribute level zero that's you brown bread so it makes them a lot more deadly in the short term but you don't have that whole xp grind to work yourself back up again which is handy because i'm a big fan of undead and a lot of them have that level drain so it's nice to be able to slide them in with that constantly like people's levels getting knocked back anyway nothing more profound to say just wanted to let you know that i very much enjoyed the episode take care and keep up the good work dude i catch you soon hey everybody this is tim shorts of gothridge manor kind of doing a nighttime podcast went out to do an errand and parked the car and thought i'd see if i could get another one out i uh did a tried to do the first one well i did do a podcast and then the file got corrupt so there you go Well, the show led off with two voicemails, one from Jay Webster and the other from John Large. Roleplay Rescue and Red Dice Diaries podcast, respectively. Uh, Thank you guys for calling in, and they were uh, talking about my undead uh, episode that I I, I think was back in December. And uh, I, I do enjoy... Undead are my favorite creatures without a doubt they just you know I just love the 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 mix of fantasy and horror um, it's it's just it's just fun i I don't know I just and I and I try to find ways to weave different things into it and not just kind of be um, as generic as just you know a walking pile of bones or meat. Uh, as an example, I don't do this all the time because sometimes you just need that horde of genericness to hack and slash down, and just you know the glory of the blood and guts and splatter and splashing and what makes it fun sometimes to game. But what I did recently in the you know, on my Patreon, in fact, was I did I started doing NPC cards of undead creatures. And not uh, two zombies, actually. So um, how do I make an NPC zombie? Well, um, my first one I did was uh, Gabor the Stinky, which is this uh, undead ogre. Um, And she goes about kind of doing what she normally did. Like, she takes lots of naps even though she doesn't sleep. But she still fake snores. And she tries to eat her stuff that she kills, but every time she eats, you know, it goes down through her, you know, down through her body and falls out like a big hole in her guts. And then she just picks it back up and tries to eat it again. So this might happen a few times until it just becomes unedible, I guess. So I so she's kind of like a weird little zombie that the 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 characters might come along and then i have another zombie that i just wrote up that is uh he's more of a i don't know if you want to call tragic story type two um he was an individual who got put into a, a bad situation and we're talking about this guy's been around this his zombie's called the executioner because nobody knows his name but he carries around this huge fucking axe And, um, the village that he used to stay in was overcome by sickness, plague, whatever you want to call it, and he was looking for a solution when a hag came and started bargaining with him. Now, one of my favorite things to do is role-play lawful each... <laughs> A lawful evil creatures, and because um, one of the things about that is uh, lawful evil creatures, I find especially in my game are a lot more disciplined and uh, honest, I guess, with their deal making than the party. Party's always just some chaotic mass that just like you know just wants to kill everything and And so this hag comes up and tries to make this deal. so I should go another aside is one of the things I do is there's different evil forces of course, going on in my campaign, and sometimes evil forces go against each go against each other they that doesn't necessarily mean because you're bad, I'm bad let's let's do this together. No, there's this death goddess called Hesta, and she's the plague goddess. So every few decades or I don't know how many years, their cult will reemerge because usually as soon as it emerges, people, you know, it it gets hunted down and hacked a little bits. But think of it almost like a Thanos cult, except they use the plague to try to get rid of the excess population kind of deal. Well, hags, which in my world live on the first plane of hell, which is Avernus, and there's a lot of connections to different dimensions, planes, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the Comor Forest, and there's then there's no shortage of them to Avernus. So when they hear about Hesta rearing her ugly head again, some of the hags that have access to the gates and everything start making deals because they have that gem. I don't know how to pronounce a paraffit? Paraffit? Para? Paraffit, I think is what how you pronounce it. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm wrong, but um, that can cure undead. So what they do is they always bargain with the adventuring group or adventurers, or in this case, this guy. And they will allow them the use of their gem. And the gem has so many uses, whatever you decide. I know in the rule books it can do three times, but I, you know, it's it's they can cure as many as the plot needs. And, um, what I also have it do though, is one of the things that, that the hags do is they collect the souls of evil men or the bodies, whatever the case may be. And they put them in these little larvas or cocoons. And then that's how the manes or lemures get created. And, they, and it's a currency in hell. Uh, They they trade and use these things, Um, and the hags know this, and so they know it's like, you know, let's make a deal time. So here, I'll give you this paraffin to save your village, but I need you to collect, let's just say in this guy's case, I need you to collect 10 souls in the same gem, so you cure who you need, and then use that gem collect 10 souls and then you bring that gem back to me. I'll come collect it. Well, in his case what ended up happening is it, he he the, the the hag's gem worked like it said it was going to do. Cure the disease. So people were, you know, singing and dancing and all healed up. And then he started collecting the um, souls of Well, he found out when he was collecting these souls, the more and more he collected, she asked for 10 and he got up to 8. And the more that he collected, the darker he began to feel. uh, Interrupted his dreams. He couldn't sleep. Uh, His mood darkened and he started uh, separating from friends and family and not wanting to be close to them and, and whatnot. So he stopped because he saw himself becoming... Something that he wasn't. Well, when the hag returned to collect her debt and found that it was two souls short, she cursed him to never rest and to always be alone. And um, so now he's this zombie who walks around and kills people. Now the the trick to this this the executioner is is if you kill him. This is part of his kind of folklore, his mythology that goes with him. Is if you kill him and take his axe. His axe is a big, you know, symbolic um, thing that people recognize him by. The, The axe will disappear and he will be... Out wandering the Comor forest again for the next, you know, killing, trying to kill people again. Now I don't. Now I'm. I don't offer a solution to the problem uh, with my NPC cards and any kind of adventure things. I try to leave that kind of stuff open ended, so the GM can kind of create their own solution to the problem. I like to present problems, let the GMs kind of figure out what solution will best suit their campaign or the situation. But yeah, I, so that's like two examples of how I like to develop unique undead even if they are just mindless zombies sometimes you can add a little flavor or history to them or habits to them uh, just like the one thing about the ogre I forgot to add is she has this big club Well she's undead and sometimes she swings her club and her arm falls off so it takes her around to kind of grab her arm and put reattach it so she can start swinging it again and I think it adds a lot to the game besides just your generic zombie and whatnot. Not that these guys are gonna to last too long, but you can you can build it up through uh rumors in the in the tavern or seeing them in the distance or maybe you know maybe they have an early on uh encounter with them and it doesn't go so well. Who knows? So but yeah. Oh, and I got another uh, call from who's oh, Alex Cody. So Cody M gave me a call. So let's take a listen to what he had to say.
1: Hey Tim, it's Cody. Good to hear you back on the mic, man. I um, I was listening to your Froggy Myth episode, and uh, that sounded like a really fun, uh, really fun session. I know going up against those kind of like high tier monsters is always exciting. You, you know, no no matter whether you're running away from it or uh, you know trying to take it down. And even more exciting when you manage to take it down, it's like a, you know, you can't control what your dice do, but it feels like such an achievement when you roll high and like, you know, kill something like that, even though it really shouldn't, but it does. Um, I just wanted to to call and, and say how I use those kind of monsters. When I'm setting up my, my games, I just make the world as dangerous as I want it. And I don't really adjust for the players. So if they wander into like a particularly deadly area, they're going to see things there that are you know outside of their scope so um anyway but good episode and i look forward to uh catching up with you later bye
0: hey cody thank you for calling in um yeah i think that's the only way to build a world you, you put monsters in there where they belong doesn't matter what this the, their level or difficulty is and let the players go and if they run into it then uh see how they deal with it, whether they choose to uh, tuck tail and run or uh, do what my players did and stand their ground and try to take it down, and they and they did. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about taking down these creatures, okay, so they... They uh, ended up leveling up. I mean, they got a shit ton of XP, and I and I'm pretty generous with XP. I don't, I don't divide it among the party. I just kind of, what I do is just figure out what their XP is, and um, just they everybody gets that same XP kind of thing. So, and I think in that uh, in that adventure, I think they got around 7,500 points, 7,500 experience points, which is you know substantial amount uh and and I don't mind giving out that much because freaking OSC is so deadly and you know it it has a tier level advancement so even when you do advance sometimes the only thing you improve is hit points uh sometimes you don't get too much otherwise uh especially like with a fighter and uh non-spell casting or skill-based kind of kind of uh, classes. Um, but the other thing you have to do is figure out the treasure. And in this case, these guys are all like, I think they're fourth that level now. Like I said, I couldn't remember their levels. I think everybody's fourth or now they're fifth or a mix of both. I don't think anybody has any magic items yet. I think they got these the shitty healing potions from <laughs> Hugo, and that's about all they have to show for themselves. Now, I'm gonna. I have a magic magic items. I just don't like to do like the plus one sword or you know the generic stuff. I mean, I'll do a little bit of generic stuff, but I usually tweak it a little bit so that maybe it's a little bit unique or different, or maybe unrecognizable at first but I like my magic items definitely to be unique and oftentimes magic items have a side effect sometimes the side effects beneficial sometimes not so much and sometimes it's just a mixed bag it just depends because magic items definitely are created for a reason most of the time you know you just don't have a a factory of wizards, you know, with chanting circles and pewing magic items or anything like that. And tell you the truth, I, you know, I've never even thought too much about how they're created. It's just this ephemeral idea in my head that that they exist, they're created, how they're created, i eh, will figure that out when I need to figure it out kind of deal. And I think some ways that's just better, just not to get too concrete with it, just to let it... Kind of be mysterious because not everything in game has to be quantified. Some things can just be a little uh, mysterious and outside the realm of rules at this time. But when it comes down to it, if I need to to maybe come up with something, I will. I'll do that. But I'm coming up with a list of magic items, and that that's kind of a difficult thing to do because you you want to make sure you give them the party something good now. I'm not one of those people who try to match magic items to the party. I just m- create or randomly figure out what's going to be in there without going, oh, man, the, the party's got this really cool bowman. He could u- reuse a magic bow. I'm going to put one down there. Um, No, there might be a freaking flail down there that's a magic item. And then they'll, you just have to figure out what to do with it. Um. So yeah, I, so that's that's what I'm working on now, guys. That's kind of like the, the second part of it. Like when I made the frog Hemoth, I never, I never expected the players to kill it. I, I especially this this group, they, they, you know what they they've done fairly well. They they haven't had a lot of, runaway moments. The previous kind of. Parties I've had have run away a lot more than they stood their ground. But in this case, you know, they surprised me and did. So now I have to come up with (laughs) magic items. Luckily, the adventure where the session ended right at the end of that that battle. So it gives me time to maybe come up with some cool things for them. And I I already have some things that kind of figured out and I have some stuff that I've written up in the past that I will draw from and definitely infuse into the game so it's hopefully it'll be fun hopefully they'll enjoy the magic items because sometimes they get more paranoid about the magic items than they do fighting the monsters i think so but uh, cody thank you so much for calling in i appreciate it man Alright guys, I am back home and I thought I'd go through uh, maybe a couple of the magic items I was thinking about uh of putting in there. So if my players are listening, uh which they probably won't because we're playing tomorrow. And uh but if if they can get through this far then they earn the uh ability to take a peek in the behind the curtain. But hopefully if you are a player, turn it off now so you don't spoil any surprises. But, uh, um, so what these are from are, instead of like inventing the wheel right now, I thought I would just use some, some of the magic items I've made in the past. And I'm, I'm drawing this from my zine, The Manor 2, that I wrote, I think 10 years ago. Um, and I have this, uh, it's And ironically, it's the one that has Hugo's Healing Potions in it, but it also in the second half of it, it has um, Smuggler's Inn. And in Smuggler's Inn, there's this lake that has this big fish in it and whatnot, and uh, it's so cold and people have died in the lake, so there's there's magic items resting at the bottom of it. So I made a short list of some magic items. And I uh, thought I'd go through a, a couple of them just to... To um, possibly add. And the first one I come across is the Axe of Mankin, And this is a plus two throwing axe. The blade is made from a huge topaz or a large topaz. Ru- Dwarven runes are carved into the blade. If the runes are read aloud, the wielder can turn invisible, but at a cost. When the invisibility power is activated. The wielder takes ten points of damage. Now, I wouldn't, I, I if I do do this, um, I'll keep everything but the ten points of damage. What I would probably do is just do like one d six, so that way there's a range, and then I don't know whether it's going to cost them a little or cost them a lot. So, um, but I like. Uh, I like that one because it's got a lot of nice uniqueness about it. The, you know, the the blade being a large toe pads and having the dwarven runes. Because in my my world, the dwarves are like a lost people. They were, you know, they allied themselves with the demons in the Last War and just basically their whole home was destroyed and and whatnot. So they're like a, a lost folk. So having one of their artifacts from the past might be an interesting find, and I might add some lore to that figure out who mankin is or something like that. Um the other thing is I saw was uh let's see there's a few I have listed here. Let me get to this one because I think this one while the art the the magic item is is nice, the scene that it's set is is horrific which um I really like so what it's gonna be and I kind of wrote it the same way I'm gonna probably play it the same way I wrote it I think let me read it here it's called the leather armor of regeneration it's 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 a simple magic item but just the scene that you know whoever's going down there what they're gonna see a fresh corpse wears a simple but elegant suit of leather armor um, there's a 10% chance that the player will find the wearer struggling to swim, but quickly return to his dead state. The suit of armor or leather armor regenerates the wearer's health at a rate of one hit point per hour. It can also restore lost limbs over a month's time. Queer the Tool was thrown into Tenkiller Lake over a year ago after he cheated in a game of cards. He continues to be brought back to life, only to die moments later. Yeah, I just think that's just uh, such a horrific scene. The poor this this wonderful magic item that you would think that you would want, you know, to regenerate your hit points, restores magic or lost limbs, but in this case, this guy continues to die over every hour. He dies again and dies again and die. so you can figure out that there's, you know, in a year's time, 24 hours how many times has he died? Like you know, I don't know. Let's do the math. Let's see. Uh, Twenty four times three sixty five equals. The guy has died eight thousand seven hundred and sixty times. In this, if we just go for a year or whatever. So, oh yeah, that's that's gonna gonna leave uh, some emotional damage, as they say. I thought that that one will be an interesting one, and and trust me, when the guys go down there, the guy will be kicking in that. Um, and one of the things I would, uh, I'm also going to drag out of this this article. It's not so much the magic item I have a bag of holding, but I'm not doing a bag of holding. But what I have in there is a halfling ring of marriage, and I and I, I just like that. It's it's in, in the description. I it said it. It has no particular, no special powers, unless the player wishes to be married to a halfling. And I'm gonna have it down there, and just have it some sort of halfling artifact. And they have, there's a half. Ken plays a halfling in the party, so it should be a a fun little trinket for them to find. Like I said, it's not gonna be anything. It's not gonna be worth a lot. It's not going to have any magical powers, but it'll definitely be um, something of of interest in that. so, And um, I think that's where I'll leave it off, guys. Um, There's probably going to be another one or two things that I'll put down there, Um, but I think those are going to be the highlights overall. Um, So I appreciate everybody listening and continuing to follow my podcast, and I hope everybody's getting out there and doing some gaming. So, all right, guys, take care. Roll better than me, and we'll talk soon.